morning. How are we doing, Firewheel? We all ready to get in the boat with Jesus? Hi, baby. Hi, baby. Oh, you're so adorable. Oh, I love having the littles in here today. What a big day, moms, dads, uh, parent-child dedication. How wonderful. That's the best. Uh, welcome to you who are at home. Glad you're able to join us this morning. We are going to invite the Lord uh, into this place. Uh, he does. He steps into our lives like, well, maybe I'll step into the boat a little later, but Jesus is, is the one who invites us to follow Him. And so this morning, we follow Him right into worship of Him. Amen? And so, Lord, we thank You for this morning and the joy that we have to gather together in Your name. And, and thank You for the sounds of these little ones. That, Lord, in your word you declare from the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained praise. And so, Lord, in like fashion, we uh, as, as adults, we are going to worship you. And you tell us to approach you as little children, that the kingdom of God is approached in this posture of like a child. And so with childlike faith this morning, we approach you to worship you, to love you, and to tell you we love you. We love you, our daddy in heaven, and we thank you for our salvation through your Son. Jesus, we worship you and we love you. And so, Holy Spirit, please move in and through this place. Holy breath, have your movement and your will and your purposes to bring about the things we can't even imagine uh, abundantly, exceedingly beyond anything we could ask or even think. Uh, Lord, to you be the glory above all. And uh, we want to tell you we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all, let's stand together and let's sing.
and power living on the inside jesus you have given us freedom no longer bound by sin and darkness living in the light of your goodness you have given us freedom now i have resurrection
filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, at the mention of your
Hello? Hello? Oh, there it is. Good morning. For those of you that don't know, my name is Leah Newman. I'm the children's pastor here at Firewheel. So excited to see all of y'all this morning. Um, we're going to do some parent-child dedication. We have five families um, that we get to dedicate their little ones. Um, our first, oh, hi, you magically appeared. <laughs> Ta -da. Ta -da. Okay, so our first um, little girl is Mackenzie Bradley. She, she's the daughter of Caleb and Tiffany Bradley, and she has her big sister here, Liberty. Um, oh, there's her picture. Next up, we have Scarlett Clark. She is the daughter of Matt and Crystal Clark. She has two big brothers that are not in here. Mama left them to play. I mean, you know, it's not her first time. And then we have Ezra Hernandez, son of Fidel and Naomi Hernandez. And then we have Leona, and I'm not going to try to say Leona's last name because I'll say it wrong. Dietrich, there you go. I, I, they even corrected my spelling, y'all. I even spelled it wrong. <laughs> and then lastly, but not least, we have Kaladin Connolly. Y'all want to scoot down this way? And for the family members that are here, if you want to get a picture, you're welcome to move to get a picture. I'm going to give them their Bibles. And then it's all you, Chris. Well, this morning, uh, as much as this is a baby dedication, this is actually a parent dedication. Um, I first want to just tell you, parents, I feel like the Lord has put on my heart to share with you that you're doing a great job, okay? It's really hard. Parenting is tough, isn't it? And um, well-intentioned people will come up to you and go, hey, guys, by the way, if you blink, you'll miss it, um, which isn't very helpful. Especially when you're changing diapers, and you're up throughout the night, and you're exhausted, and you're trying to figure out how to be married, and how to raise kids, and nobody handed you a manual when you left the hospital. You all agree with that? And so I want to encourage you that it's tough. It just is plain tough. But you all are doing a really good job. And your kids are fully dressed this morning. Did y'all see that? Did y'all notice the kids are fully dressed? Some of them, are they're all in shoes. And you all, yes, all of the parents are dressed too, fully. And so that in itself is a testimony to how good a job you're doing. But this morning, I, I do, I have a few words for you. I have a few words for you, Calum and, and Tiffany and Matt and Crystal. Fidel and Naomi, Kyle and Lilia, my good friends Stephen and Heather. Um, you all have been anointed. And that anointing began when you covenanted yourself to your spouse. And the scriptures tell us that when we do that, we leave our previous loyalties and we are loyal to our spouse. And the scripture says, a man will leave father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The greatest expression of that one flesh is what you're holding in your arms. Stuff of your stuff. 
And that, that is, there's this parental anointing that God has given you as husbands and wives to, to love and to cherish and to raise up your children in the Lord. And it is our responsibility as the church to come alongside of these parents, to love and encourage, to, to cheer them on, and to help. But then it is your responsibility. Dads, I want to commission you specifically. The Bible has set you apart as the spiritual heads of your home, the leaders. It is your responsibility to be the spiritual head in tenderness like Christ shepherds and loves the church. You are to lay your life down for your bride and for your family. Wives, you are commissioned to tenderly nurture and, and pour into your children in such a way that only mom can. And to encourage one another, to build up one another. And so this morning, we're going to place our hands, everybody put your hands out towards these families. Lord Jesus, we pray over these families. We pray your special anointing and your blessing, your encouragement and your strength. God, we pray for endurance. We pray, Lord Jesus, that as your word declares, that when we are weak, that is when your strength is evident in us. And, and there is times, there are times where we are weak and we are tired and we're weary and we want to quit. I pray that you would strengthen these marriages. That these marriages, these husbands and wives would be the foundation that these kids are raised on. That they would be built up and raised up in you, Jesus, starting fresh right at home. That you would encourage and strengthen each heart. That you would, you would strengthen these men's heart and call them to a spirit of humility to shepherd their families well. To love their wives. And wives to love and serve their husbands and their families. We pray for these children that, Lord, they would be set apart for your good purposes and raised up. I pray your special blessings over these households. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the privilege that we have as a church to support, to love, to encourage. We pray that we would not fail in our ministry to come alongside of these families. We pray your special equipping and anointing over these homes. And we ask that, Lord Jesus, as they choose to live their life for you, as they train their children up, we pray that these children will not depart from you, Lord. But this is the next generation that will take up the mantle of ministry and the gospel of peace to the world, that they would tell a generation who has never heard of your name, Jesus. We love you, Jesus, and we love these children, and we love these parents. We pray your special blessing and anointing over them this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Parents, you've been commissioned from the moment you took that bundle of joy home. May you be richly blessed, and if there's any way we can serve you, it would be our honor. You were loved. Family, let's say it. You are loved. Amen. Hello, Firewheelers. What are you up to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings at 7.30 a.m.? Why not hop on over to Firewheel's Facebook page for a short morning devotion live with Pastor Chris. Wednesday nights at 7 p.m., we have something for everyone with Jammin' Offline for birth through fifth grade, engaged student ministries for the youth, and men's and women's studies, which are currently combined for a special series. 
Sunday mornings are also a great place to plug in with engaged student ministries and three adult Bible studies at 9.30 a.m. Plus, Jam Children's Ministry at both 9.30 and 11 a.m. You can learn more about these and other activities and events by checking out your weekly email or going online to firewheelfellowship.com. Or you can always check us out on social media. All right. Isn't that wonderful? We love the little ones. All right, y'all. There was something I had mentioned last week, and uh, I'm going to continue to mention it. And uh, it, it goes something like this. Let's own this together. I believe that is the statement of, of the year. I don't know if that carries us through the whole year, but I think that that is to be the atmosphere of the, the local church. Let us, that is us together, own, take ownership. That it's not about us individually, but it's us as a whole taking ownership of this, our church. Let's own this together. And so I, I want to encourage you this morning, one of the ways that we own this is we share this because we believe that there are others who don't have this, and we want them to. And so if you have your cellular device, go ahead, hit uh, share on the social media where this, this uh, service is shared, and share it with others. Invite people. Tell them of what you have and who you know through the ministry that you have come to know and truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ and you want them to know him too. I want to encourage you to continue to generously support the work of the ministry and find ways of serving that we don't just come to be served, but we come to serve. Let's own this together. Amen? All right, let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. We are in Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5. Uh, we're picking up where we left off last week as we saw Jesus got in the boat with the disciples. You remember that from last week? He got into their life. And you know, Jesus has a way of doing that. He has a way of getting into our life, stepping into our world. And by the way, he's not surprised what he finds when he gets there. He's not shocked by it. He's like, oh, I can't believe what's in your life. He willingly steps into our life. And he has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And he calls us to follow him, to literally step out of our boat that he so freely entered in to then step into his boat. But here's what's crazy. This is what we know. This has been our life. These are our plans and our goals and our agenda. This is our little boat. And the thought of stepping out of it is terrifying. Because what does it mean to follow Jesus? As we all can testify, for those of us who have stepped out of the boat, for those of us who do follow Jesus, for those of us who have stepped into his boat, we can testify, he did not give us a detailed itinerary when we started following, did he? No, he did not give us a detailed itinerary. He doesn't tell us where we're going. He doesn't tell us what we're going to be doing. But in all of it, we know who we're following, amen? amen. All right, Luke chapter 5. I'm going to try to step out of here without getting hurt. Luke chapter 5. Hey, it worked! Um, <laughs> thank you. I heard that applause. There was a couple. <laughs> Pastor Chris didn't get hurt this morning. <laughs> uh, so we saw it last week. Two words, follow me. And for whatever reason, they did. Matthew 5, verse 11, Jesus stepped into the boat with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. 
And through like this miraculous provision, God, Jesus, spoke to the disciples in such a way that they heard their name being called. And here's what's staggering. The scriptures tell us when they had brought their boats to land, they left what? Everything. They left everything and followed him. They received the call. Very, very simple. Follow me. And here's what's fascinating. They did. Now, I'm not sure when in your life or where you were at in your life when you received the call from the Lord to follow him, when he called you by name. Maybe that moment hasn't happened yet, but when that moment happened in the disciples' life, they, it never crossed their minds not to. It made all the sense in the world. And that's the reality of the call of Christ on our life. When he calls us and we begin to follow him, it makes all the sense in the world. Why do you follow Jesus? Well, because he called me to. Yeah, but why? Because he called me to. Yeah, but why? Because he called me to. And in simplicity of faith, I'm just going to follow. Jesus called them, and they followed. They left everything. That is the only spiritually healthy response when the Lord Jesus calls us. It is to leave everything and follow. They left their boats and their nets and their businesses and their plans and their goals and essentially their whole lives. Because it's so much more than nets, isn't it? When it says everything, it's so much more than just a boat or some nets. We get so caught up in our life about our boats and our nets. And we're like terrified that to follow Jesus, we're going to have to give up our boats and our, our nets. He doesn't want just our boats and our nets. He wants the whole thing. He wants our whole life. So, again, they did not receive a detailed itinerary. They had no idea where they were going. They had no idea what they were be do be doing. Other than vaguely, they were going to be catching people for the kingdom of God. Whatever that meant. So they didn't have any of that stuff. Just a kind of a rough idea of where they were headed. But you know what they had? They knew who they were following. That's exactly right. They had Jesus. They knew who they were following. And family, Jesus does not give us a detailed itinerary when we are called to follow him. He does not tell us where we're going or what we're going to be doing. But here's the deal. We at least know who we're following. And it's quite a person to follow. Amen? Amen. So we're going to meet another person this morning uh, who uh, Jesus is going to step into his life. He's going to step into the boat, proverbially, with this guy. And he's going to issue the call. And again... The only spiritually healthy response, he follows. So let's look at Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. I'm going to read it uh, to us in its entirety. Uh, and then we're going to ask that the, the Lord of blessing will take this message this morning, that he will break it and distribute it to each one of us as we have need. Uh, Luke chapter 5. Verse 27, after this, he went out, that is Jesus, and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving, say it together, everything, he rose and followed him. Then Levi made a, him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled at his disciples, enraged at what they were seeing. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so, Lord, this morning, 
we give this message into your hands, uh, Lord, and my hands, uh, just some crusty loaves of bread and a couple stinky fish, but in your capable hands that when this message is broken and blessed and distributed, uh, we leave satisfied. And so, Lord, you are the God who satisfies our souls. And so through your word, please satisfy the need, meet the needs in our spiritual life this morning. We ask by faith and in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we begin first with 5, Luke 5, verse 27. It says, after this, after what? Well, after in the context, he had just done some pretty miraculous stuff. After that, he went out and he what? He saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Now, Jesus, again, is in the city of Capernaum, and he's walking along with his early band of disciples, and he came across a man. He had a divine appointment with a man by the name of Levi. Now, we know him as Matthew, and for the duration of the message, I'm going to refer to him as Matthew. And he's situated prominently on a trade road leading in and out of the city. And so Matthew is just going about his, his everyday activities of extorting his fellow Jews and uh, taxing people as they came in and out. And Jesus said, uh, the text says that Jesus saw him. And to me, that is very significant. Because you know there were others who saw Matthew as well. And the question we have to ask is, what did they see when they saw Matthew? Well, I believe they saw a tax collector. It was one of the most hated professions in the land of Israel. And by the way, I don't know how popular tax collectors are today. Anyway, um, <laughs> if you're a tax collector, we love you. You are so loved. Tax collectors were seen as traitors in the first century. Turning on their own for profit, collecting taxes for Rome. This is what they were known as, extortioners, liars, and thieves, which at the time was pretty accurate. Uh, they were rejected and unwelcome in religious uh, circles. They were seen as a stain on society. They were considered spiritually dirty and contagious. They were something to be avoided. And that's what the world saw when they saw Matthew. Now the question we have to ask, what did Jesus see when he saw Matthew? I mean, we can all agree that first thing that Jesus saw, of course, was somebody who was in need. There was a spiritual sickness. Jesus has the medicine. Sure, that's what he sees when he sees us. But there was so much more. Jesus saw a man who had an incredible capacity for faith and faithfulness. He saw a man whose heart was hungry for God. He saw a man who was fit for kingdom work. You see, when Jesus saw Matthew, he didn't just see what Matthew was. He saw what Matthew was going to be. And family, we have a tendency to see people and maybe even ourselves based upon what's on the surface. We evaluate and we judge. And we forget that what Jesus sees and what we see, it's not the same thing. We may see sinner while Jesus sees saint. We may see messy while Jesus sees masterpiece. 
We may see dirty while Jesus sees cleansed. We may see rejected while Jesus sees received. We may see lost while Jesus sees loved. And so Jesus then issues the call. It is, it's crazy to me who Jesus calls. I mean, as of right now, we've seen uh, four fishermen and a tax collector, which sounds like the start of a joke, doesn't it? There were four, tax, uh, four fishermen and a tax collector. So while it sounds like the start of a joke, this is in fact the beginning of the greatest movement that was ever going to be unleashed on earth called the church. And when I think about these guys, I'm like, I don't know if they would be picked first or like for a game of pickup basketball, let alone the greatest work that would ever be unleashed on earth. But Jesus saw something that no one else saw. You see, these five guys, along with other disciples and followers, are all equally and horribly unqualified. Family, all of us are that way. There's none of us who are qualified for the work. There's none of us who are worthy of the call. And in fact, what happens with these, these individuals is something very significant. Jesus calls them, and all they do is follow, to which Jesus then does the rest. It all begins at surrender. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 End of verse 27, he said to him, he said to Matthew, follow me. I can imagine Matthew's first reaction like, are you talking to me? I mean, outside of the Lord, specifically calling him by name, Levi, follow me. I could imagine Levi was thinking to himself, ah, uh, you must have the wrong guy. I mean, there's this other Levi, he's probably more faithful than me. I, are you sure? Are you really calling me? I think, I think what we miss is that, that Levi, that Matthew, was always so desperate to be picked. He, he was so hungry for God. He was one invitation away from a sold-out life following Jesus. I want us to chew on that for a second. Matthew was one invitation away from a sold-out life following Jesus. Family, there are people in our life. They are hungry for God. They have an incredible capacity for faith. They would totally go to church. And potentially, through an invitation coming, they may just hear Jesus call them by name. All they're lacking is an invitation of the Lord speaking through a friend or a family member or a co-worker, and maybe, just maybe, they will hear those, those precious words, follow me, and they'll be called by name. Jesus has a way of doing that, by the way, calling us in such a way that we know it's us. And in response, just as we saw with the fishermen, I love this, verse 28, and leaving what? Everything. Okay, so we can surmise. It's the tax office. He got it from his desk. He packed it all up. He, he left behind this very lucrative position and place where it was situated. This was a very profitable place to have a tax business. 
So we can, we can surmise that, yes, he was leaving that behind, but we have to understand that everything is more than just the tax business and, the, and where he was situated and located. What does everything entail? Everything. That's right. Everything. All of it. His whole life. I can imagine that Matthew went home and he's like, honey, I don't know what this means. <laughs> but Jesus has called me to follow him. And I'm going to follow him. That Jesus stepped into his life. He stepped into Levi's boat. Follow me. To which Levi then stepped out of his life and stepped into Jesus's. And then what he does is so beautiful. He calls up all his friends and homies and acquaintances because he wants everyone he knows to know Jesus too. Look at verse 29. I just, I just feel like I need to share this. I love that we invite churched people to church. I love that. That's a kind of easy sell, isn't it? And we're kind of like, well, I don't know where you're going to church. Oh, there's some things you don't like. Well, at my church, we don't do it that way. We do that better. We just switched our brands of coffee. Really? Yes. It's anointed. That sounds amazing. Oh, it is. What would happen if we started inviting people who don't know Jesus? You know what? They're not that concerned about the type of coffee we serve. They don't know what to expect. They're walking in like a complete blank slate. We have recently had people come here for the first time they've ever gone to church, ever, in their life. And the Lord has reached into their hearts and grabbed a hold of them. And they have given their life to Christ. And guess what? All it took was what? An invitation. Luke 5, 29, Levi made him a great feast at his house. That is Jesus. He throws a party, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. I love this. He throws a huge party, not just for his new Christian friends, not just for the disciples, not just for Jesus. No, he wants everyone he knows to know Jesus. And so he invites and he fills his house with fellow thieves, swindlers, and traitors. That is, i.e., other tax collectors. Which also seems like the start of a joke, right? Uh, what do you call a house full of tax collectors? Don't answer that, but I was just thinking about that. Um, a group of people loved by Jesus. That's the punchline, right? Uh, and we were told that others came as well. And so who's hanging out with tax collectors? Probably other people who were considered societal scum. They all come together under one roof. And they're not just sitting at the table with Jesus. Check this out. Jesus is sitting at table with them. To me, that's fascinating. The type of people Jesus is comfortable hanging out with. And i got to be honest with you, this is my type of party. Like, this is my kind of people. 
They're, they're not churchy people. They, they really are curious. And they come, and what does that tell you about Jesus, that they actually wanted to hang out with him? What does it say about how Jesus treated people? Do you think Jesus walked in and went, y'all a bunch of sinners? <laughs> Hell is real and you're headed for it. Uh, what's for dinner? <laughs> he wasn't pointing the finger at everyone. Because Jesus doesn't do that. Pharisees do. And there just so happened to be a group of Pharisees. I just kind of slipped in to spy out the scandalous ministry of Jesus. You see, Pharisees do that. They slither in to spy out the scandalous ministry of Christ. And by the way, it is scandalous. And the Pharisees and their scribes, that is the, the experts in the law, they grumbled. That is, in anger, they clenched their teeth and talked. They snarled. Something is happening that should not be happening. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They snarl and hiss. Do you know what kind of people you are rubbing shoulders with right now? I mean, just think of the heart to walk into a party where people are having a good time and to start pointing at everyone else. You all are the ones with the problem. These religious people, I will label self-righteous spiritual sickos, could only see what was on the surface. They prescribed and adhered to a spiritual quarantine. They avoided sinners like we avoid people with COVID, like every time somebody coughs. <laughs> Do you have COVID? I, I was just choking on an ice cube. <laughs> it's ice cube COVID. <laughs> they wore their masks and they sanitized for fear that they, they just might get contaminated by others' sickness. They huddled together and their little spiritually sick circles looking down their noses at all the sinners out there, not realizing that they may have in fact been the sickest of all. I'm going to take us to a parable. It's a parable with a punch, and it hurts because it reveals the Pharisee within my own heart. Luke chapter 18, turn there, please. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. This is a parable... But this is also reality. In verse 9 of chapter 18 of Luke, I love hearing all those pages turn. Are we all there? Are we all there? Some of us are silently. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, listen to this, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. What kind of righteousness would we call this? Self-righteous, that's right. Two men went up to the temple to pray, which is a pretty godly activity, would you all agree? But the motivation and why they're going to pray, totally different. 
uh, and one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners and unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Wow. Listen to what he does. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I go to Bible study. I attend church every single week. I'm not like those people. But then the tax collector, standing far off, he's not standing far off so he won't get contaminated. He sees himself as one who may contaminate others. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I am undeserving. I am unworthy. Grace. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, forgiven, cleansed rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's the paradox. That when we exalt ourselves in this life, we are humbled in the next. That when we humble ourselves before the Lord in this life, we are exalted in the next. But I think we all have a little Pharisee in us. When we start looking at other people, when we start judging them, and we start basing our judgment on what we see on the surface, and we start seeing symptoms, and we, and we start criticizing and lumping people together in big, giant groups, we start judging other churches, and we start looking at culture, and we start looking down our noses at all the other people out there. And that pharisaical spirit can grab a hold of the church where we begin to huddle ourselves, trying to inoculate ourselves. The church was never meant to be a holy huddle. It was never meant to be a Christian country club where the spiritually mature live out their last days in a Christian villa <laughs> as we await eternity as we keep those people out. They bring down the property value. But a hospital, an emergency room, where the sick and the hemorrhaging and the hurting and the dirty and the, and the messy and the strung out and jacked up and the addicted and liars and cheats and swindlers and drunks and embezzlers and murderers and gamblers and stay-at-home gossips and, and working-class blasphemers where the lost can be found, where the spiritually blind can receive their sight, where the spiritually dead can be raised to life. We are a church built right at the crossroads of life and death. Jesus interrupts the Pharisees and their cronies. It was way more scandalous than they first perceived or believed. 
He wasn't just eating with tax collectors and sinners. Sinners are Jesus' people. Hmm. Verse 31, And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Boy, isn't that true in the physical sense? Can you imagine going to the doctor? Hey, what's going on, doc? Hey, what, what's going on? What are, what are you fa- what's going on in your life right now? Like, why are you calling me? Why are you here? Oh, no reason. I just felt like swinging by. You got really good lollipops when I check out, and um, just wanted to tell you everything's good. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? How about this? What if you show up and you're really sick, and the doctor's like, look, I want to help you, and you go, oh, no, I'm not sick. I don't need any help. I got this. That's the Pharisees. They were sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's a fascinating statement, really, because it looks like on the surface, Jesus is saying that there are some people who are righteous apart from Jesus. That somehow through their works, they are righteous. That's what the Pharisees saw in themselves. They saw themselves as righteous even more so than Jesus. And in fact, it was evidence because Jesus had a terrible choice in friends. He still does. (laughs) I am so glad today that I'm a friend of Jesus and that he's my friend. I still can't figure out why he chose me. Me neither. Oh, I thought you were saying, yeah, I don't know why he chose you either. Thanks, Pat. (laughs) No, I know what you mean. Me neither. Right? Amen. These Pharisees didn't need to repent. They were law abiders. God was lucky to have them. But then there are these pesky section of verses and others like it. Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. Well, there's certainly some. No, not one. Well, there's probably one. Nope. Not even one. And then there's Romans 3.23, for all. That's pretty, it's including just about everybody. For all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Simply put, we're all spiritually sick in need of a Savior. Jesus has not come to call. He has come to call the spiritually sick. To heal the spiritually broken, to cleanse the spiritually stained, to raise the, to life the spiritually dead. I love that. And you know, here's what's crazy. Jesus gets into our lives and he steps into our lives. Last time I'm doing this. Probably not. There's always next week, right? <laughs> but he steps into our life. And he invites us into his. And I love that word repentance, because it speaks of change. And we have to ask the question, what is is Jesus out to change? Only one thing. Did you know that? Jesus seeks to change only one thing. You want to know what that one thing is? Everything. Jesus seeks to change one thing, and that is everything, to change our direction, to change our eternity, to change our loyalties, our passions, our goals. 
He's come to change every aspect of our life. So when we hear him call, and maybe he's calling you by name this morning, and you hear him, and maybe you don't want to hear him, maybe you're thinking to yourself, this is ridiculous. There's that, there's that moment where our brains start to kick in. But if you hear his voice today, and he's calling you by name, set aside that stuff. Because he's inviting you into real life. Real, soul-satisfying, abundant life. Follow me. We'll conclude with a, a few spiritual recommendations. First, the call. And we just talked about that. Who does Jesus call, by the way? What's that? He calls all. Mm-hmm. He calls spiritually sick people. Isn't that weird? Wouldn't we expect that God would call those who were good people, righteous people? But then there's that whole thing, no, not one, right? So yes, he calls to us. And here's what's beautiful. Jesus does not start off by calling us sinners. Did you know that Jesus first connects with the heart before he convicts the soul? It's God's mercy and grace that leads us to repentance. It's the why me moment. Why would you call me? I'm unworthy. Jesus has a way of building these relationships with really messy people, and they, the transformation that comes, Jesus doesn't just see what you are today. He sees what you're going to be. He has plans and purposes for your life that are far exceedingly greater than the plans and purposes you have for your life. He's bringing about something that has never been brought about ever in and through your life. It is unique to you. It is as unique as your fingerprint. He knows every thought and meditation of your heart. He knows every follicle of hair on your head or lack thereof. He knows everything about you, and he loves you, and he has a plan for you. But it begins first when we follow. Secondly, obviously the application is there if he calls you follow, right? No. Uh, one invitation away. I have a challenge for you. I want you to prayerfully consider inviting the least likely person this week. I am talking the person where you're like, <laughs> there's no way. I mean, I, I, there's no way they're going to go to church. But I'm going to tell you right now, 20 years ago, I was the no way guy. No way that guy would go to church. When I was in high school, can I share a story? You okay with the story? I was invited to a Christian, like, uh, athletic, uh, Christian Athletic Association or whatever, Bible study. And they had pizza, and they had soda. So why do you think I showed up? Pizza and soda. So I walked in, no joke, grabbed a pizza, grabbed a six-pack of cola, and walked out. 
but I was invited. I was just scared. I walked in and I didn't know what to do with all these happy people because I wasn't happy. I smiled a lot. People called me happy at school. It was just a mask. But I was invited. You know how much that meant to me? And how good that pizza was? <laughs> I never forgot it. Then I was invited to a Bible study. And then I was invited to church. And then through that invitation, I gave my life to Jesus. I heard him call me by name. So I have a heart for the least likelies. And so this week, I ask that you invite the least likely person. The person where you think there's no way they're going to come, invite them. If anything, it may just be the first time they've been invited. And that feels good. And don't take it personal if they say no. And don't take it personal if they walk in and take a pizza and a six-pack of coal and walk out. Just be grateful they showed up. And then finally, the Pharisee sickness. I just want us to be very careful with this. Because the sickness can grab a hold of the church where we begin to huddle together trying to inoculate ourselves, quarantine ourselves from those, those people out there. The church is to be a hospital and an emergency room. And you know what? Spiritually sick people are welcome here. Amen? Spiritually sick people are welcome here. Because in Christ, we have the medicine. And so let's be really comfortable with rubbing shoulders with spiritually sick people, because you know what Jesus is. Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for the, for the transformation and for the call. And I believe this morning that you are calling people by name. You have so situated yourself in their life at this very moment that you are calling them to follow you to trust in you. If this morning you feel that call to follow Jesus, you feel he is calling you by name. Answer the call. In the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me and that you were buried and you have risen. Jesus, I believe you've come to save me. I ask for forgiveness for my sins. I believe, I know that you love me. Unworthy, I approach you. Please save my life. If that is truly your heart's prayer, the Bible declares you've passed from death to life, from blindness to sight. You are forever a son or daughter of the living God. Welcome to the family. And this morning, we want to pray right now uh, for those least likelies. We want to pray at this very moment. We want to pray your abundant blessings over them. We want to pray your best blessings. We want to, we want to ask that, that, Father, that you would begin to move their hearts, Spirit, begin to move their lives, draw them to uh, yourself, Lord Jesus. We pray for those divine appointments and those opportunities, this commissioning that we have been sent out to invite, to extend, just as you have invited us. 
We pray that through invitation, radical transformation can take place. We love you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, family, let's stand together and stretch. Let's give God a wave offering. Let's go left, let's go right. Family, it's time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. Now let's carry that love out to the rest of the world and let's invite somebody. Amen? Have a great week.